And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. <coughs> That's the second commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. That's the third commandment. The fourth is, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land of the Lord your God, in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. That was the fifth one. Six is you shall not murder. Seven, you shall not commit adultery. Eight, you shall not steal. And finally, the main focus for tonight is verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. That's the ninth commandment, and that's what we're going to be getting into tonight. So Josh can go ahead and take it away with the with the prayer and get into the meat and potatoes of it. All right. Thanks for reading it. Let's pray. Of course. Father, uh, we ask for you to help us to see your word clearly, his eyes to see, to know the truth of your word and to make use of it. Help us to see how he who was slandered against, who had many false witnesses come against him is our only hope to save us from our own lies and slander. We ask for your help. Amen. All right. So ninth commandment in long journey. We've got one week left until we reach the end of the Ten Commandments. Uh, this one also seems pretty simple and straightforward, as have some of the others, but uh, as we've seen, especially with these last few, there are lots of implications, lots of expansive uh, applications to this command that we can extract if we take the time to give it some thought and to poke around some other parts of the Bible. So verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Before we go here, I want to do the weekly reminder of the use of the Ten Commandments. What is the law of God for? What does it do? What is its purpose? Uh, remember, it, it is the expression of God's holy character and nature. It is not an arbitrary set of rules. He didn't just make them up out of the sky to control us, to restrict us from doing what we, uh, to, from, from having fun with our lives or whatever. Rather, it is how we ought to live in a fallen, sin-cursed world as his creatures. It is meant to restrain our sin, to promote the good and to teach us about who God is. And remember that it is for people who have been saved from its consequences already. That even in these Ten Commandments, in the context they were given, it was after the salvation event, after he brought them out of slavery in the land of Egypt, that he then gives them this holy law. And so the same is true 
for the Christian, the one who has been saved from the penalty and consequence of the law, from the wrath of God, which is the ultimate penalty and consequence for breaking his law, because a, uh, breaking God's law is an affront to him. If it is an expression of who he is, then failure to keep it is a direct slap to the face of the creator of the universe. Which means that uh, he has right, just, good, holy wrath against those who break his law. And that is the case for every single one of us who could not hold up to the standard of God's law because it is an expression of his character. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to take on a fully human nature like ours to then live in perfect accordance with that law to die under the wrath of God meant for lawbreakers, and then to rise from the dead, demonstrating the truth of who he said he was, what he said he came to do, and the accomplishment that he has made in dying for sins and rising so that he may rule and reign over the cosmos, over all that exists, all that he made forever and ever. All of that is, is our context for this law. It, it, it is the driving force of it. It, it is a good law, it is holy law. It did it, it just disappear when Jesus came, but rather he uh, established, upheld it, and fulfilled it. And then told his people to obey all that he commanded them. And if we believe that Jesus is God, we believe that he has a, a, a part to play then in, in all of the inspiration of Scripture, the breathing out, the God-breathedness, for lack of a better term, of Scripture. Uh, then this falls into that category of all that he has commanded. And so we need to look at the law as good and good for us, yet not as our way to God. It's not how we have peace with God. It's not how we have a relationship with God. But rather, it is how we live after the fact, after he has brought us into a peaceful relationship with himself through the love that he has shown to us in Christ Jesus, because what Jesus has done for us, the grace he's given to us in Christ, then uh, pushes us and promotes in us living a holy life according to all that God has commanded us. So that's our weekly context for the law. Now, this command. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. A helpful cross-reference text for us is Deuteronomy 19, verse 15. Because this tells us that this isn't just about lying in general. Often it might be summarized even, or someone quoting Ten Commandments might say, don't lie as, as the Ninth Commandment. But it's a very specific command. It says you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, neighbor in the context of the Bible just means anybody. It is another human bearing the image of God. Uh, it is not limited to the person who lives in the house next to you. So when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, that's it. <laughs> um, it, it, it encompasses more than the person who lives in the closest proximity to you. So when it says, don't bear false witness against your neighbor, it is talking specifically that there are wider implications that relate to more general lying. But it is specifically talking about in a judicial manner, in the court of law, in, in the legal system, to not bear witness against them that is false. That, that if, if they're accused for a crime and you come as a witness and say they did it when they didn't, or if they're accused for a crime and they did do it and you're brought in as a witness and they're your friend and you say they didn't do it, that's the context of this. That, that's bearing false witness against your neighbor. So Deuteronomy 19.15 shows us kind of how this was uh, working in their context. A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime 
or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he's committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall a charge be established. So even to, to bring the charge forth for the governing authorities to consider it as being valid, you needed two or three witnesses to even bring it to trial. One person or one entity of some kind, because there's other things that could count as a witness against someone, like, like a murder weapon or something like that. Say, like, oh, well, there's a, <laughs> hey, uh, Billy killed a guy in his field with an axe. And if we go look at his axe in his shed out back, it's got blood all over it and it's human blood. Okay, well, now you have two witnesses. So it doesn't just mean a person. However, even if you, if you fabricated that evidence somehow, that would be bearing false witness. Jesus experiences this in, in, in the gospel accounts when he is brought to trial. There are many charges laid against him, and they're false. And, and, and what, what's so interesting about his trial is that the very people who claim to be upholding and keeping the law the most broke every single legal process during the trial of Jesus. And they broke this command, which then brought him to the cross. And so it is through the very breaking of God's law at every point, actually, every Ten Commandment at some level is broken during the process of getting Jesus from the uh, area or in and around Jerusalem and Judea to the cross. Somebody breaks God's law along the way, whether it's Judas or the Pharisees or Pilate. Somebody along the way is breaking God's law. And it's the very breaking of God's law that our salvation from the penalty of it is accomplished. So it's important to see that, that there's a, a connection here between God's law and our salvation and is very, very much tied in together. So what are the other implications of this commandment besides the immediate legal context? What other implications do we have? Well, yet again, uh, for the, I think, seventh time in a row, I'm going to lean on existing wisdom from uh, my good Puritan friend, Thomas Watson. His book on the Ten Commandments has been excellent so far in aiding me to teach all of you. And I would recommend reading it yourself, as I obviously haven't just been reading all of it to you. It's been very helpful to me in drawing out a lot of these different implications and having these commands last longer than five minutes. So what does Watson have to say here? Well, to the, the prohibitory part of the commandment or what it forbids in general. That's what he starts with. So, so what, what, what is it saying not to do, generally speaking, not just in its specific legal context? Well, the first thing he says is slander. And he says, this is a sin against the ninth commandment. This slandering is to report things of others unjustly. Unjustly. So this is essentially what, what is often called cancel culture, or what we experience now, uh, where someone uh, tries to cancel somebody by reporting something against them that is not true, and then the entire internet explodes and takes the initial false report and spreads it like wildfire as if it were true. And every single time that happens in an unjust fashion, I'm not saying that there are never legitimate reasons why somebody should be quote unquote canceled, uh, so to speak. Uh, if somebody is actually a child predator or some, they, they should be arrested, they, they, they should be brought to trial, but it needs to be done correctly. It needs to be done in a due process that is actually just and not on the basis of a single witness in this case, because then it's my word against theirs. That's all that we have to stand on, and the judiciary should not kill somebody or uh, enslave them in the prison system on the testimony of a single witness. So, uh, that is 
slander. So, so slander is breaking the ninth commandment. Canceling somebody when they didn't do anything uh, is slander. Or in the case of many of, if, if you live in, in America, you, you may have even seen on the internet many of the different shootings and rioting and all this stuff lately. Uh, yet again, people coming to conclusions before all the facts have come out, before they have more than a single witness to whatever it is, before they have any information just blowing the world up, no matter what side you're on, uh, on, on any of it. Uh, coming to unjust conclusions on the basis of a single witness is a breaking of the ninth commandment. He'll go into that more later. Yeah, here, here we go. Uh, later, right now. As it is a sin against this commandment to raise a false report of another, so it is to receive a false report before we have examined it. So, uh, and maybe he could have worded that a little better, where to receive a report before they have examined it. So, even if the report is true, if you just don't examine it, and you're just like, all right, oh, there it is. <laughs> there it is. Done. Uh, I, I, I guess, you know, whoever did they must be guilty, because the media source I trust has given me one evidence of testimony uh, uh, about the person. Done. Done deal. Uh, that's breaking the night commandment. Secondly, lying is addressed here. And he says, he says here, three, three sins are condemned within this commandment. One, speaking that which is false. Two, witnessing to that which is false. And three, swearing to that which is false. So he's going to cover a, a pretty large uh, gamut here. So speaking that which is false is, is, is fairly straightforward. Uh, to lie is to speak that which one knows to be an untruth. He says, there's nothing more contrary to God than a lie. Jesus calls himself the way, the truth, and the life. The spirit is called the spirit of truth. Uh, the, the, the Lord says that he... Uh, does not lie. He just says it. He's like, I'm the Lord. I do not lie. So we have uh, the, the, the whole testimony of the Trinity testifying to uh, their own truthfulness in that sense. Um, and, and, and so lying is therefore a rejection of who God is and a rejection of your intended design to imitate him in his attribute of truthfulness and truth telling. And then he mentions that lying is a sin which does not go alone, but it ushers in other sins. That to double down on a lie, you often have to do other sins to cover up lies, to keep lies going, to keep them alive. You often bring other sins with you as a result. Secondly, he says that which is condemned to the commandment is witnessing that which is false. And what he means here, uh, one, he says bearing false witness for another. I've already gone over these, but I'm going to say it again because uh, I think it's helpful to hear it again, especially in our current climate, cultural climate. Bearing false witness for another as when we give our testimony for a person who is criminal and guilty and we justify him as if he were innocent. So again, this is if... Your friend got in trouble, and you come in, and, and you know that he's, you know he's guilty, but you tell everyone, "I was there, I saw what happened." He didn't do anything. That would be breaking the ninth commandment. Two, he said, "This is bearing false witness against another when we accuse him in open court falsely." Again, um, and it's funny. He says, "This is to imitate the devil, who is the accuser of the brethren." <laughs> um, and she's not is not wrong there. And so, again, to bear false witness against a person when you accuse someone openly, and he has in mind an open court, but this could be openly on the internet, of something they did not do, or of something that you don't have proper evidence for, that you're saying they did on hearsay, that is slander, is breaking the ninth commandment. 
And he actually says something which I really appreciate here because we're seeing this now more than ever. You may have grown up hearing the old adage that sticks and stones break your bones, but word ca words can't hurt you. Uh, that's not true. Words can hurt you. One, uh, interestingly, uh, Jesus is described in the book of Revelation as a sword protruding from his mouth by which he cuts down his enemies. And that sword is, is his words. It's imagery for him speaking them to death, literally. So there's that. Uh, so the words of God can quite literally hurt you in that sense. Uh, but that's just me being a little silly. Uh, but the reality is uh, your words can destroy someone. If you, in a context in which people believe someone on the basis of one line of testimony, break the ninth commandment and pervert justice, and slander another person, you can ruin them. You can ruin them. You can cause them to lose their job, their relationships, their family may you know, distance themselves from them. You could absolutely ruin someone in our current cultural context via breaking the ninth commandment, using words only. We see it so often. Um, the, the Bible has strong words about the tongue. The, the, the spoken word and how it can be used to tear people apart, to wound them, to destroy them. And that that same tongue that is used to destroy others will set the user of that tongue on fire with the flames of hell, as James describes it. Um, the things that we say have a huge impact on, on people. They do. And this is why there's so much of the wisdom literature in the Bible is devoted to being slow to speak, being careful about what you say, speaking the truth specifically, and striving to build up with what we say and speak that which is edifying or good for building up. Uh, as often as we can. So again, uh, sticks and stones can break your bones. Words can't hurt you. Total lie. Words can totally hurt you. They just don't hurt you in the same way. <laughs> and the Bible supports that claim uh, entirely by even making this a commandment, in fact. <laughs> because again, if a person were to come and get together enough witnesses, they could put someone on trial for a capital crime and get them killed. Which is exactly what they did to Jesus. So there you go. Breaking the Ninth Commandment. It can kill people. All right. Lastly, he says, that which is condemned in the commandment is swearing to what is false, as when men take a false oath, and by that take away the life of of another. And so this would be if you doubled down on your lies, what he's talking about here, where uh, if, if you commit perjury, essentially, which is the fancy way to say that you swore before uh, all the powers that be God and, and, and man that you are telling the truth, but you're actually lying. And so that, that, that's a, a very serious kind of ninth commandment breaking. Uh, because you are binding yourself to your word there and basically calling upon yourself if, if, if you know, they, they kind of likely removing the whole taking an oath on, on the Bible kind of thing. But the reason they would do that is the person was swearing to the truth of what they were saying or the promise they were making and asking and inviting God to essentially strike them down if they broke their word. That, that was the purpose of that. It, it was a acknowledgement that the swearing of an oath was not just done before men, but it was done in the sight of God, and that the breaking of that oath or the falsifying of it uh, is an invitation to be struck down, essentially, uh, for, for God to bring full wrath upon the person who's breaking the ninth commandment there. That's kind of why they would do that. Now, do people break oaths and then not get struck by a lightning bolt? Well, obviously. Um, the idea is, the, the, the symbolism of it, 
is representing that idea. Uh, again, he has a good quote here uh, about some of the stuff I was saying earlier. He says, you may kill a man in his name as well as in his person. Some are reluctant to take away their neighbor's goods. Conscience would fly in their face. But better take away their corn out of their field, their wares out of their shop, than take away their good name. So he's like, it's better to get stolen from than to have your name tarnished because you'll, you won't be able to sell anything ever again. That's what he's saying. Finally, he has a exhortation of sorts uh, to, to use this command to exhort you to do good. He says, let all take heed of breaking this commandment by lying, slandering, and bearing false witness. To avoid these sins, get the fear of God, as he says in other places as well. Uh, again, it's having the right relationship to God is essential. And then he says, get love to your neighbor. If we love a friend, we should not speak or attest anything to his harm. Men's minds are cankered with envy and hatred. Hence comes slandering and false witnessing. Love is a lovely grace. Love thinks no evil. It puts the best interpretation upon another's words. That's huge. That's huge right there, what he says there. Putting the best interpretation upon another's words. You cannot read the thoughts of another person. You can't. You can't know what they're thinking. And, and so if you assume you know what they're thinking or you know their heart motivations and then you make a judgment based on it about them, their character, or whether what they did was, was you know, or whether they're intending to do good or bad to you, if you do that based upon things that you can't know, that's breaking the ninth commandment. He continues, love is a well-wisher and is reluctant reluctant to speak ill of him whom we wish well to. Love is that which cements Christians together. It is the healer of division and the hinderer of slander. And then he talks about those who he gives an exhortation to those who have been slandered and falsely accused. The first thing he says is to labor to make a sanctified use of it. It's interesting what he says. He says see if you have no sin unrepented of for which God may allow you to be uh, interesting, calluminated and reproached. Uh, I don't even think I said that word right. There you go. 1600s English. Um, what he's saying there is that uh, if, if someone starts saying bad things about you, the first thing you need to do is examine yourself to see whether it's true. <laughs> That's the first thing you need to do. You, you need to find out whether they're right. And then if they are not right, he says, rejoice. To be not too much troubled. If you know your own innocence, let your rejoicing be the witness of your conscience. He says, a good conscience is a wall of brass that will be able to stand against a false witness. As no flattery can heal a bad conscience, so no slander can hurt a good one. So what he means there is that if, if you know you're guilty and someone keeps telling you you're not, you're going to still feel guilty. But if you know you're innocent and someone tells you that you're not, it's like, you're good. He says, God will clear up the names of his people. As he will wipe away tears from the eyes, so will he wipe off reproaches from the name. And finally, he says, be very thankful to God if he has preserved you from slander and false witness. Be thankful to God. Be thankful to God. If, if you've never experienced this, uh, I, I've experienced it. It is, it is the most unpleasant feeling in the world to have a group of people or people that you know, you're friends with, begin to say things about you that aren't true. Um, and you have no, if you, especially if you don't have any way to prove them wrong, to, to show that you, you didn't do or say that thing, um, it's awful. It, it feels terrible. Uh, be on the receiving end of that. And so if you haven't experienced it, thank God that you haven't. Finally, this is one more thing. The mandatory part of the commandment implied is that we stand up for others and vindicate them when they are injured by lying lips. This is the sense of the commandment, not only that we should not slander falsely or accuse others, but that we should stand up in their defense when we know them to be traduced, slandered, etc. 
A man may wrong another as well by silence as by slander when he knows him to be wrongfully accused, yet does not speak in his behalf. If others cast false aspersions on any, we should wipe them off. So what he means there is that if, if you know someone who is, it doesn't mean you need to come to the defense on the internet of every single person who's, because often you don't have enough of the facts to know one way or the other in those situations. If you do, then yeah, like if, if you and a friend are talking about one of these situations and you actually know, or at the least, you know that the other person doesn't have all the facts and is slandering them, you have an obligation keep in keeping with the ninth commandment to say, hey, actually, we shouldn't jump to conclusions here. We need to wait until we have a biblical standard of evidence to go off of. Because uh, we don't get we don't just get to dream up what counts as sufficient evidence. The Bible actually gives us standards for this. So if, if we're just following the winds of, of the culture and arbitrarily assigning guilt and innocence to people based upon the, 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 the ever ebbing tide that is uh, the Internet. Then we are breaking the ninth commandment. And if we are in conversation with someone who is going along with that and we don't say anything well then we could also be brought up in in terms of breaking the ninth commandment and i'm not again i'm not saying you need to just go out and seek fights on the internet that's not what this that's not what i'm saying here when someone that you know or situations that you know or at least where, where you have positive affirmative correct knowledge that what's being said is slanderous what's being said is a lie then you have at some level, an obligation to defend the person, even if you don't necessarily know them, uh, to, to say, hey, actually, especially if the other person is a Christian, I should say that and emphasize that as well. If the other person is a Christian and is breaking the ninth commandment in front of you, you have an obligation to that person to say, hey, you're not supposed to do that. The Bible says, Deuteronomy 19.15, we need the testimony of two or three witnesses. At least, at least, before we can even bring a charge, we, we need evidence. We need established evidence. We need to wait for the facts. We need to know the facts. We cannot act upon impulse. That is how sin is multiplied. There may have been a genuine sin involved in the situation they're describing. Maybe there is. But until you have sufficient biblical evidence to say, yeah, that's a horrible, evil thing that happened, and it's sinful. And we know that because of this, this, and this. Until you can do that, you need to keep your mouth shut about it. Because the Bible indicts those who slander others when they break the ninth commandment. All right. So, there's the ninth commandment for you. Uh... Again, remember that Jesus was slandered and it was slander that brought him to the cross for the sake of those for whom he died, all those who will come to trust in him, to turn from their own slander, their own sin, their own lying about who God is. If, if you do not believe in the God of the Bible, if you do not believe in the true God, then you break the ninth commandment in a sense because you are lying to yourself about who God is. You are every day waking up and telling yourself a story about the world that is false and telling others a story about the world that is false by the way that you live and by the words that you say. And so for us to turn from our breaking of the ninth commandment, to turn away from our lies and to believe the truth and to love the truth is to come to Christ who through slander was put on the cross and died under the wrath of God for every lawbreaker who would then turn to Christ and trust in him, trust in that sacrifice for their sins, to repent and find forgiveness, real, genuine, powerful, active forgiveness that happens. It's real. If you are in Christ, you are actually forgiven. God has no more wrath for you because he poured it out upon his son. You can have a clean conscience before God. Truly a, a, a clean, purified conscience before God to appeal to him 
for a pure conscience, that, that the guilt for your sin could be truly wiped away and has been in Christ. That's the point of the law. It's the point of these commands. Show us who God is. Show us who we are. To show us our need for Christ. And then to show us how we ought to live toward God and toward one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for forgiving liars who deserve to be consigned to your wrath, and yet you gave us your Son, who only spoke the truth and yet was condemned for the truth that he spoke. Keep our words true. Keep them in accord with your word. Drive us to your word that we may learn and know the truth and grow in it so that we may continue to speak the truth to each other, speak the truth about you and who you are. Help us to abide in the truth, to live in it, to act out according to it in our lives, to use it in all that we do. Thank you for the salvation you brought to us through Christ to give us forgiveness from our lives of lying. And preserve us from that sin. Help us to keep your ninth commandment. Amen. Amen. That's some great stuff, Josh. Um, now we're going to be moving on to the questions portion of this. There were there was some questions that Mister Roger answered. I, I don't know if you read those or the answer them yet or not, Josh. Um. There was one from Larry Boy, and I think one from uh, Grudgy Son. <laughs> I don't know how to say. Uh, I think I've called you Gurgdasan in the past, but I don't. Grudgy or Grudge uh, Y Son. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I keep the discussion closed now while I'm. Because if I have it open, I read it while I'm trying to talk, and it it just. It's not good. Yeah, let me just. Um, I'll, I'll move so the, the questions that have been answered. I'll just. Uh, those are the only two questions I've seen, and then... Okay, if assuming general conclusion is so bad, I mean, we have to fact check everything we read or hear in order for it. Uh, yeah, actually. I mean, yeah, like, if if you just believe things... Now, again, it's it's specifically in the context of the Ninth Commandment. Uh, later, this is later voice question. Let, let me read it all the way through, because um, I just I realized I read it halfway I was reading it in my head. If assuming and jumping to conclusion is so bad, that would mean we would have to fact check every single thing we read or hear in order to prevent breaking the ninth commandment. Is that really what we're supposed to do? Because it would obviously require tremendous effort. When it comes to accusations of sin, absolutely. When it comes to things that you are intending to repeat as truth, absolutely. Um, if I walked around and said, here's what the Bible says about this, this, and this, and I haven't done my legwork i haven't done my research and i've received it from one singular source secondhand and i haven't looked at the bible itself uh to verify what someone else has said um this is why i love that you know Goosen sends you guys out he sends you the text before he teaches and says fact check me i i want you to hold me accountable to my teaching um absolutely uh, it does require effort. Now, uh, if it is uh, often truth claims come prepackaged with enough witnesses to establish them. It's often the case. Unless somebody just walks up on the street to you and says, hey, by the way, you know about those lizard people? And they have no evidence for it. And they just, well, obviously, you're not going to believe them right away. And you shouldn't until they provide some kind of evidence for their truth claim uh so yeah uh people need to provide so so for example argumentation is a witness a logical argument that provides premises that lead to a true conclusion that counts as a witness um and and citing sources counts as as different witnesses and then you can check those things out but absolutely there's um 
the, the thrust of the commandment is about bringing someone up on charges of lawbreaking, of sin. Um, but I think an application of it would be that we do need to think through carefully everything that we read and hear and establish those things based upon multiple lines of attestation. Uh, the earth is flat, breaking the ninth. Yeah, let me see. What did? Yeah, I think Mr. Rogers had good response as well uh, to you there. Um, yeah, I, I think again, it's it's things that you are affirming and grasping. Like, yeah, this is absolutely hundred percent true. If you read or hear something and you don't, you know, you're willing to hold it open-handedly, I think you're allowed to do that and allow yourself to have it as a, a, a I would call it a kind of temporary belief. Like Until I find other evidence to the contrary, I'm willing to hold this open-handedly and wait for other, and, and, and until I can do more research, until I can look into it, until I can um, figure something out about it. Like if, if you lived in a cave somewhere and someone found you and said the earth is flat, I think it would be permissible to hold it open-handedly at that point because you don't have anything else to go off of. But if you do and you have the resources, you should absolutely try to verify the things that you read in here. All right, I'm going to stop rambling about that. Uh, Yeah, acknowledging the limitations of human knowledge is important in all of this as well. Uh, all right, gas powered pickle. Fred, Fred, there you are. Um, so you may have covered this already, but it's lying for any kind of good reason, okay? Like if you lied to the soldiers about helping Jews in World War II. Uh, yeah, so the Bible actually commends uh, Rahab for lying to the Canaanites about the Jewish spies that she was hiding in her house. So we literally have an example in the Bible of somebody doing that exact thing. So it's, it's, it's literally an identical situation. We, we can use a biblical example. <laughs> and in the book of James, uh, he commends Rahab for doing that. Uh, he praises her for it. And, and so there, there you have it. Now, um, because he would have he broken another commandment, or, or sorry, Rahab would have broken another commandment if she had been like, oh, yeah, they're in the back. <laughs> um, she broken a few, actually. Because uh, she had already agreed to not hand them over. She had already agreed, and they had agreed to provide her protection in exchange for, for shelter at the time and then a way out. Um, and so she would have broken her word there. Uh, and then she would have also broken the command not to murder because they would have been killed. <laughs> and she would have been the direct cause uh, of their eventual execution. So, yeah. But yeah, we have an actual situation. Those situations are so few and far between, I didn't address it. Because it, it, it you know, the only example anyone can ever think of is the one that you gave. <laughs> and uh, thankfully, we don't have that situation right now, uh, at least in our current context. But if that situation ever happened to you, then yeah, you have a biblical precedent to... Uh, to preserve the life of the people you're protecting from the bad guys. Absolutely. Uh, okay, so Josh, a lot of people are asking about a particular game that's really popular right now. Um, are you familiar with Among Us? Uh, I'm familiar, yeah. Uh, I, I've been watching some of those videos, they're hilarious. Um, I, I, I think that game, it, it looks fun. It's obviously not something that, I don't have enough friends to play that game. 
<laughs> feels bad, man. But it does take like uh, a group of ten people. <laughs> yeah, but I played other games like I played Secret Hitler. I played, uh, you know, Mafia and all the, all the variants of Mafia. I think that's fine because you're you're not again. The, the, so this is where the the thrust of the commandment is helpful. You're not lying in order to slander and harm someone. You're playing a game. Um, it, it's more akin to acting at that point. Everyone knows the rules. Everyone knows that you are not lying to them in order to harm them or lying about the way the world actually is or lying to like, that's not what you're doing and what you're engaging in. Uh, you are playing a role. So I, I, I play lots of Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, again, role playing. I think, I think that's fine. Um, I don't think the ninth commandment forbids us from taking on roles in games. Yeah. Yeah, Mr. Rogers, the midwives of Egypt is another great example of uh, of someone lying to protect the life of children in that case. Yes, I'm a D&D nerd. It's quite true. I'm an old man. Um, I think there was one from Grudge Y Son. Or grudge, why son? I miss it. Yeah, I, and hiding yeah. it from a person of sin. No, I don't think so. Uh, again, what is the intention behind what you're doing there? Is it to harm the person? No. Uh, and is, uh, okay, so you know this doesn't apply to every single, uh, every single command. So if I say, well, what's your motivation behind murdering that person? Is it not to harm them? So, so the harm principle is not good for every single area of life. However, the sins I think it's helpful to think about because the Bible actually gives us the room to think about these things and to think, okay, you know, um, if, if I don't tell this person about what I'm planning um, because I'm doing them a good, I know they're going to really enjoy the surprise and I surprise them with something. I don't think it's breaking the ninth commandment because you're not lying about them. You're not slandering them. Um, now, should you make it a habit to, to do that? And, and can you know one thing lead to another? Absolutely. I, I think we should be careful with with all of this stuff, e even with the games and stuff like that. The like Secret Hitler Among Us, all all those kinds of games that that require you to deceive people. I think we have to be careful with that, and, and we have to make sure that we don't take that we we keep those things where they belong. And don't take those into our lives. And if that's a problem for you, you shouldn't engage in the game. So that, that's an important thing to keep in mind. That I wouldn't recommend those things to everybody. Um, because some people would have a harder time disconnecting from the game. And would bring the tendencies of deception and lying into their normal lives. Um, but I think as long as everybody's aware, everyone knows the rules, I think all that is acceptable. Uh, Larry Boy, so white lights, do they exist? Probably about this one. Um, no. I think there's just, there's just lying. <laughs> um, yeah. There's just, there's just not telling the truth. And then the question is, is it slanderous? Is it breaking an oath? Is it breaking? Uh, is it compromising the truth about the world? Is it? Da, da, da. What about your own life? Uh, so like lying to save your own life? And somebody knocks on your door and is like, hey, are you this guy? And you know that if you tell them who you are, they're going to, like, just kill you. Yeah, like, if you have all that knowledge, I don't think you have an... You don't have an obligation to let evil people just kill you. I don't... 
there, there's, there's exceptions to this, I suppose. Um, now that's different because that would be committing a different sin. So if someone asks you're a Christian and they want to kill you over it, and you denounce Christ, that's a specific kind of sin that is actually addressed and talked about. You're like, I reject Christ. I don't know. I have no association with the Christians. Absolutely not. There was a huge controversy within the early church where there was um, the, the church split in an area of the world because some were allowing apostates during the last big persecution before Constantine to repent and rejoin the church. And others said, no, we suffered and died during that persecution because we refused to renounce Christ. Um, and we don't, they denounced him. And Jesus said, he said it, didn't he? If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father. So they're not allowed back in, uh, even if they're repentant. Um, now, whatever you make of that situation, it was a big deal. And, and so there's a situation where there's a specific command, there's a specific thing that you're told to do. Um, yeah. So there it is. But in general, I don't think you have an obligation to just hand, put yourselves in the hands of people who are trying to harm you and let them do whatever they want. Um, self-defense is in the law of God. Just There's justified self-defense in the law of God. All right. Is there any other questions? And remember, you can use your microphones if you want to. Or the text chat, whatever you want to do. Usually Graceful Fire is the only one who takes me up on the microphone offer. <laughs> it's true. It's like, I have a question, but I'm going to save it because I want to use the mic. <laughs> like, okay, man, that's fine. People are typing. They are. Several people. Several people. I'm always afraid I'll be too loud on mic. It's fine. <laughs> is your microphone just chaotic, Mr. Rogers? Because last time it had like just so much reverb whenever, or did, like the first time you talked, it was scary for a second. Fair enough. <laughs> oh man. Pulled my soundboard so much. Wait, I think, yeah, there was a question there, right? But I think God manages pr to protect those who tell the truth. There's a lot of good World War II testimonies and stuff like that. Okay, well, if, um, if there's no other questions, then we can be done.